I was looking through my little notebook and I saw some of the suggestions for uh, podcast titles before we landed on Yak Babies, and one of them was Reading Shame Bros. <laughs> yeah, that was the yeah that was like the the runner up, I think for sure. Was that the was that the runner up? Yeah, even just reading Rain Bros have been great. Mm. I also I also liked AB and the Babies. <laughs> That's probably where Yak Babies Diff- different podcasts <laughs> grew out of. Get me fucking arrested. Okay. Three, two, one. The Yak Babies. Sex, presidents, and sometimes books. Welcome to Yak Babies, the only podcast on the internet sponsored by Athletic Reds Powdered Blood for Peak Performance. Blech. My name's Aaron, here my personal pals, Dave. Morning, boys. We have Rick. Do you mix that with water and then just drink blood? Or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess, well, let's think about that. Or do you use it to dope? Because powdered greens, or athletic greens is like powdered vegetable matter, right? Mm-hmm. Or what is it? I don't know. I don't know what that is. Does anyone use that stuff? Clearly none of us. No. I hear it on podcasts all the time, but I never have used it. But yes, I imagine... Dave, ask Lou Ferrigno and then report back. Yeah, he probably does. <laughs> I got to imagine that powdered reds is definitely just like powdered blood that you mix with water becomes actual blood. So I guess vampires would drink it. Mm. Or we could for our blood rituals. Vampires on the go. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. You're a busy vampire. Sometimes you don't have the capacity to take mix it. take uh, active blood with you. Mix it in with your grass jelly for a little more irony <laughs> taste. Yeah, make sure you get all your nutri- nutrients in a daily, uh, daily recommended amount. We also have a new American Nico. There he is. Oh, hello. Yes, hi. I forgot what we were doing for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're recording the podcast. Uh- <laughs> This week's episode is a return to an old favorite. What are we reading? It's been a while. It's been a couple, about a month or so since we checked in. And surprise, surprise, I have done some reading. So I have things to Ooh. share with you guys. <laughs> I know. It was a holiday break. It's my customary time to actually read books when I'm not uh, drowning in work. Uh, so I have done some reading. But first, I want to hear my personal pals have also been reading. Uh, Dave, let's start with you. What you got on your plate? What have you been reading lately? I've read a book, a novel called The Heart of It All by a writer named Christian Kiefer. Kind of takes place in a small Ohio town right after Trump was elected. So there's a lot of, you know, MAGA signs, a lot of white, like working class voters in, in this area. And, you know, obviously a lot of areas. So I think he kind of wanted to explore that. It's one, it's like there are maybe eight different POV characters. So it's like, you know, kind of exploring the whole community, but it's centered around a factory that's run by a a Pakistani American man. It's good. I, I liked it. I think what kept me from enjoying it more. So it's a good story. And I think the characters were, were pretty well developed and well done. He does that thing though, where he feels compelled to close almost every chapter with like a lengthy description of like the gloaming, you know? And I just, it, it just, it bothers me when writers do that. They're like, why does that bother you? Cause it's just, I don't know. It's unnecessary. Like particularly when it's just, when you do it again and again and again, especially closing a chapter. Yeah. So it'll be like, you know, a chapter, some sort yeah. of dyad, uh, comes to a close and then so okay that's you know good spot to end the chapter but no then it's like 
here's a description of what all the trees were doing at that particular time of day and like what the earth looks like and the color of the sky. And it's like, you know, some, I don't, I don't know, man. That's gross. That, that always feels to me like there's not enough going on in the actual story. So then the writers like has metaphorical things going on. And yeah, in I think that's what bothers me because the story itself can stand on its own. And it just like he, and I, yeah. it feels like we run into a lot. He just like lets himself get, swept away and trying to be lyrical as if you know that's going to add some profundity to what just happened in the chapter but it doesn't what's profound is just what's on the page what happens between the characters or their internalizations is this a, a first novel or is this uh no i think it's his third it's the first one i've read gotcha and it so it came out on melville house I think last summer. So after I read it, I looked for reviews of it, but um, there's almost nothing out there, which kind of sucks. Hmm. You know, he had like the Kirkus and Publishers Weekly reviews, but um, no coverage aside from that. And it's, you know, the, right. the kind of book, well, I think Nico would hate it intensely. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of about my alley, like exploring like working class Midwesterners. There, there's a lot to like about it, and I'm glad I read it. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, like he's a good enough writer that he didn't have to do what he did with all the, you know, the gloaming and the wind and yeah, what have you. But some people, you know, who what who am I to say? Some people enjoy that kind of uh, writing. So I don't know. Hopefully they sure. right. enjoy yeah. it here. Do you think you got anything out of it in terms of insight to like a Trump? area like is there anything there politically or or so like like socially that you felt like was true or yeah Yeah. um yeah so he one of the main pov characters is a he's the foreman at the the factory and the book opens with him having lost his like less than a year old baby uh died of like a heart defect or, or something and he so in this when we're in this character's point of view, we learn that he voted for Trump, but didn't feel great about it and didn't like, you know, how buffoonish he is. Hmm. (laughs) So he's an idiot. So he's an idiot. But one thing that might have, have made this (laughs) book more interesting is if the writer had gotten, had given us the point of view of a, so there's this other guy, a friend of this foreman who, has like swallowed the pill, you know, he gets, he gets fired from, uh, this factory for being overheard using racial slurs about the, the Pakistani American family that runs the factory. And then, so he spends the next, you know, however months at home, you know, like going down YouTube holes or, you know, wherever the, those far right people find their, their material. Right. And it feels like a missed opportunity to not give us, this character's point of view or, you know, somebody else like equivalent point of view. So, you know, we, we, so we see people like this guy, but only through the lens of people who are not them. So this guy, like this Trump voter is the nearest we come to getting a right winger's point of view. Right. So I, I would have been interested to see what he did with that. Like if, if we'd been in that, the real far right guys POV for a while, just see what, you know what kind of what there is there yeah definitely i mean i guess you risk in doing that like getting too close to 
I don't want to say humanizing, but like getting too close to like, well, let's see what the, is there anything here with these views or whatever? Um, but I think it would be interesting from a narrative standpoint to have that character's voice in the story, right? Well, yeah, particularly to see his, I don't know what the word is. So like at the beginning, he's just kind of a standard issue, you know, white, loudmouth, kind of racist guy. Right. But then, you know, the the decline, the descent into this stuff is what might have been interesting. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Excellent. Let's move on to Nico. Okay. Uh, so I talked about all my favorite and least favorite books <laughs> in the in the year wrap up. So now it's time for be a new some year. Right? Mediocre ones, <laughs> some ones that are in the middle. Uh, so I. Uh, uh, but Dave's thing did remind me. I'm reading Cavalier and Clay oh, yeah. again for a book club, and I th- I think like he's a great writer. But holy shit, does he love the sound of his own voice. <laughs> like, holy shit. That book did not need to be. It's over 200,000 words. It it could have been a tight mm. 75. Uh, and it's like one of those meandering kind of epic novels. And there's like an entire passage about like when one of the cousins goes to World War II and like what, what he does there. And it's like 80 pages. All that kind of stuff is fine. It's just the, the pages long descriptions mm. of everything. And the pages long just... Like everything has, you know, a page, a paragraph at least of, of just flowery description, and I, I, I'm still gonna rate it five stars, I think. And I started thinking about it like a comic book where, you know, the first panel of every new chapter, and I think I, I kind of think that's what he was intending to do. Is like the first panel of every new chapter is is like a scene setting. And but instead of instead of just getting it all across in a panel, he uses a thousand words, literally. Right. Right. <laughs> and so it's like once once you kind of understand that and then he also kind of reminds me of Aaron Sorkin because like he's he's a good writer when he, and when he has good material, he can elevate it. And, you know, World War Two, you know, uh, Sammy being gay in 19, the 1940s, like the gay culture, all that kind of stuff when he when he gets one of those he really like elevates that part but then there's so much that's just you know descriptions of them drawing comic books for you know right. 5000 words and it's it's like okay I, I i i get it i got it dude like we could and it reminds me of Aaron Sorkin the kind of the difference between the west wing and 60 on the sunset strip hmm. it's like when he has good material and he has good subject matter he can <clears throat> he can really go to town but when he doesn't, it's it's like all of his stuff is at the same tone level, yeah, and it's all high key, and it's kind of feels hollow because there's there's not the substance to 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 support it. Mm. Um, but I mean, still, I think it's uh, it's worth reading. It's very much kind of that early two thousands Dave Eggers, David Foster Wallace style, you know, long flowery blah 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 digressions. Yeah, a lot of digressions a lot of a lot of like you know a big a description of the history of like this toy and then the toy plays like a small role in the scene right like okay do you how, do you guys do you guys agree with that because i know you all like that book i think i'm the only one who hasn't read it i mean it's been a while since i read it but i think i, I think he's describing it accurately i i, I like those long i remember liking the, yeah. the sort of just mm-hmm. kind of spreading out stuff in that book but i had to i think I, I, we owned yeah. it back then that was kind of the style yeah, so i don't know if i'd yeah. still like it now I, 
I mean, that's on the list of, of maybe yeah. the line for Canon or Canon. So I'd like to read. I'd like, yeah, to, read, I'd like uh, to read it again. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it needs to be Canon or Canon. That was also almost pre-internet, you know, like we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, definitely didn't have iPhones. You know, it was kind of, it feels, and it's, and it obviously takes place in World War II. So it's, 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 it feels outdated now. Yeah. Right. Uh, so then I also read Small Mercies by Dennis Lehane. And oh. I read it mostly because I found this thing where it paid like 25 bucks for the book and this Zoom discussion between him and Gillian Flynn, which I also learned is, pronounced Gillian right. and not Jillian. Yeah. But so during the during the discussion, and then mostly that was why I did it was for the discussion. Mm. But so during the discussion he said that his impetus for this book was because he remembered when he was a kid in Southie and there was the busing going on, the 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 interracial busing and the the protests, the riots that were happening. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted to write a book about that. And I don't think I've read any other Dennis Lehane, but this was wildly underwhelming. This was a 50-year-old white man's book about race. Right. It had – it was super weird. The busing was almost – what was nothing more than scene setting. It was just in the background and there were just a shit ton of N-words. And it's like, what is the point of this? Because mm. what what happens in the story is that this middle-aged – white woman her daughter disappears and she goes to find him to find her and it turns out that that entire thing which is like pretty well executed but that entire story is encapsulated in white southie has nothing to do she doesn't she talks to two black people the entire time and they are the parents of the black kid that her daughter murdered just before she went missing so also, and then the mother is racist. The daughter is obviously racist. She helps like murder this black kid. It's they're really un unsympathetic, and she just has no she has no like come to Jesus moment. She doesn't change. Mm-hmm. She changes maybe fifteen percent. She's kind of like Meh, maybe black people are okay, but she never talks to any of them. She never right. interacts with them. It's just a it's a like fifty year old white Southie gangster who kills her daughter, right. and that's it. And so it's it's just setting it in during the busing felt completely irrelevant, hmm. unnecessary. I didn't I didn't get it. And then the third one was uh, this book that uh, that I've heard a lot about because let me let me just read you the the flap copy. After Tova Sullivan's husband died, she began working the night shift at the Soul Bay Aquarium, mopping floors and tidying. Oh, up. I know this book. Yeah. Her her eighteen year old son mysteriously vanished on a boat in tu- Puget Sound thirty years ago. Tova becomes acquainted with curmudgeonly Marcellus, a giant Pacific octopus living at the aquarium. Marcellus knows more than anyone can imagine, but wouldn't dream of lifting one of his eight arms for his human captors until he forms a remarkable friendship with Tova. Ever the detective, Marcellus deduces what happened the night Tova's son disappeared. And now Marcellus must use every trick in his old invertebrate body to unearth the truth for her before it's too late. Yeah. So I was like, "All right, if you can, if you can land that that story, I'm on board 100." percent Uh huh. And there is that story. It's in the book. That's the B plot. Right. The A plot is about this 30 year old loser named Cameron who like learns how to be an adult. Oh, right. Has nothing to do. He's not mentioned in the flap copy at all. And there's a reason. 
and the reason is because he sucks. <laughs> it sucks spending time with them. And the, so the entire A plot, two thirds of the book, just sucks as you're watching this guy like, maybe I can get an entry level job in an aquarium and actually pay my bills. It's like, okay, I mean, for Christ's sake, Cameron, yeah, you're you're 30 years old. You can you can mop floors. So that was that was the weird part of that. That that book has like a 4.5 on Goodreads. Like, yeah, it's it a, outrageously yeah, popular. It's a hit. People love that book. Yeah. And nobody talks about fucking Cameron. I don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's the the selling point of the book is not like you said, it's not Cameron. It's the octopus shit and like the the crazy twist right. that happens. Hmm. Yeah. It's like how people who like women who give birth don't tell women who haven't given birth what it's actually like because they want them to to do it so you know that feels the same way it's like cameron is the equivalent of getting your your taint cut (laughs) he is the literary equivalent of an episiotomy you heard it here first folks (laughs) yeah so that's my uh those are those are my three notable ones I'm glad you read that book. Uh, I, uh, I know someone who read I it. I hope for that a, book, a book gets re released like, and just says the equivalent of getting your taint cut. <laughs> That's the fucking blurb. I would buy it. That's how we finally break out into yeah. mainstream success. I wasn't going to pick this up, but now I am. <laughs> we get a nasty word. <laughs> At least it's it would be, you know, you, your expectations would be set properly. Touche. <laughs> All right, Brick, what about you? Oh, well, I got, I don't have any taint cutters. <laughs> uh, I did read books. That's the new rating system. Which is wonderful. <laughs> taint cutter. Something's happened, and in 2024, I remembered how to read. Mm. Oh. Uh, yeah, it feels good. Leave my taint alone. <laughs> in fact. I'm tickling it. I got enough books here. There's, there's one I'm going to save for next month now that we're not in person. Hmm. Let's see. I read a, a nonfiction book called The Wild Ones by John Muallam. This is actually a book I started and never finished, I think in like 2015. It's about conservation, which, you know, part of it's a little dated because a lot has changed <laughs> in our world since 2015. Sure. But right. it, it primarily follows this guy kind of learning about the state of yeah, it's, it's a little reductive, but conservation through polar bears, this population of butterflies in California somewhere, uh, and then the whooping cranes, the, the people that like fly around in the plains to try and get them to like relearn to migrate, etc. It's very good. It's this is the I told you I started it a long time ago. Put it out. This is where I learned about Billy Possum. Mm, yeah. The anecdote from there, I, I believe it was the author was on that 99% Invisible podcast a long time ago. And that's when I, when I learned about right. Billy Possum and, and Taft uh, gorging himself on taters and possum. Uh, and then that failed toy experiment. So that was in there. There's also a section about that, that lady in the 60s that took a bunch of or gave the dolphin LSD and then jacked it off every day. So that's mm-hmm. fun. Uh, it, it, Pardon me? I didn't. I didn't hear the story. <laughs> can, can you rewind a little bit on that one? You don't know about that. There was a there was a drunk history episode about it. Is this this experiment in the '60s where they were trying to teach dolphins to talk? So they made like they made like an elementary school basically, and then filled it with two feet of water. And this this woman like lived with a dolphin, uh, but then she, and they were giving it LSD to see if that would prompt it to learn how to. <laughs> the fucking '60s must have been just a wild place. <laughs> Uh, but then she found he was getting distractive, so she jacked him off every day. Yeah. And then eventually people, that made its way to the newspapers, and they're like, is this lady giving 
your taxpayer money is is going to dolphins getting jacked off on LSD. Yeah, what a life. <laughs> yeah, right. For her and the dolphin. To... Yeah. <laughs> it was just a guy in like a gray sweatsuit who was like, <laughs> his name was Aaron. I can almost understand him if I could just give the talk. Have some more LSD. And... <laughs> Boner. <laughs> He's, he can't. He can't focus. <laughs> Miss, I'm distracted. If you just jack me off one more time, I could definitely learn to talk. Okay. <laughs> I don't see any yeah. other way. But it, it's a so it's a good book. It's it does. I mean, it, it pretty much where it ends up is it's all kind of a lost cause, but also an important cause at the same time, right? And you know, I, one of the things it's talking, it said from a, like, there's no way, like, a lot of what conservation does is try to undo the last 10, 15, 50 years, right? And try to get back to, right. like, take this park and try to get it back to before humans touched it. But it's not actually possible to do that because, one, that's not how life works. It changes every time. Every time there's a hurricane, life changes around, right? And then, two, right. things are so complicated and humans' impact on the planet is so pervasive that it's literally impossible to, to do that. But at the same time, it's worth, it's worth the endeavor because it's sort of built into like wildness is kind of built into humans. You know, there's this whole section about how, you know, kids know more animals than they know anything else. Right. And that might be like built into our, our brains. So it's a very good book. It's worth, worth a shot. John Muallam. And then I read this book Foster by Claire Keegan, uh, who's a Irish author of, I think some renown. I've, she had a famous book that I forget already. Never heard yeah. of her. So, uh, well, it was a well-written for one. This is not a book. It, it, it it calls itself a book. It looks like a novella. It's really a, a slightly long short story with some uh, generous mm. margins. That said, it was a pretty good, pretty good short story. It's mm. about it's about this kid in kind of like probably early to mid nineteenth century. I'm sorry, twentieth century Ireland, whose family sends her to live with like an uncle or, or, or an aunt and uncle or a godparents or something for the summer because they can't afford to feed her and it's about her kind of spending the summer there and kind of realizing that her life sucks <laughs> basically right. it's one of those ones that people i can see people being gaga for and when i was googling around about it it was because it does there's a lot of like untold story in there but that's also not particularly difficult to decipher right and so through this girl right. you can tell like it basically like the the unwritten subplot is this family that she's staying with has a has a dead kid, right? And and so um, and then by the end she's like kind of replacing the dead kid, but then she has to go home. So it's 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 a little saccharine. It's well written. Whoever Claire Keegan is, she's got a good sense of diction and syntax. Hmm. It might be worth if you want a dour, maybe too emotional Irish book <laughs> that might be worth uh, googling her name and seeing if. I don't have the book here, so I can't. I'm sure it says what her novels are for that, but mm. it was worthwhile. And it's a, it's like a hundred page book, but again, the margins are generous. My guess is it's a, it's a thirty forty page story under normal, normal fonts. Right. Uh, but you know, worthwhile. I liked it. And then nice. I picked up, uh, as we had mentioned, I was going to save this to have us do a very mini group read, but now we won't. Uh, the Mysteries by Bill Watterson and John Cashed. Oh yeah. Uh, this is the. Uh, Return to the World uh, from the author of Calvin and Hobbes. This is a 
throwaway curiosity. It's not. It's oh, right. not offensive uh, January 6th propaganda, luckily. <laughs> the art is interesting. So it's like one of those things yeah. where like each page has one sentence and then a picture. Right. And they're all black and white, like either charcoal or pencil drawings or something. And they look, some of them look very convincingly like someone uh, maybe did some clay models and then took like, you know, those tilt shift pictures. But it's not that. It's, it's drawings. Um, it's pretty gloomy. Yeah. It's, you know, it's it's... It's definitely a gloomy book, but it's that, that one you held up almost reminds me of uh, the illustrations from Scary Stories. A little bit, not yeah, quite as like, not quite as like drippy ink. If instead it was, you know, kind of graphite, and then there's some that look a little more like oil paint, like Blair Witchy mm, yeah. kind of stuff. You can tell. My guess is there's two artists here, and you can I think they both had their own parts. It's it's interesting. It's cool. I'm glad it. This is the kind of book you would flip through in the library, and then never do again or put on a coffee table coffee table yeah, yeah totally there's uh, a narrative thread there is it's not very good <laughs> it's it's trying to be like a it's trying to be like a like a fairy tale kind of deal mm-hmm. it, it's basically human progress is leading to the end of the world kind of thing uh and then it it sort of just it, it ends on a on a gloom and doom cliffhanger it's fine it's not bad i wouldn't say i'm surprised that bill watterson 30 years later uh, is feeling gloomy about the state of the world. Like, I feel like the way Calvin and Hobbes ended yeah. and then take 30 years of what happened after that to come back and be like, yeah. well, I guess no one listened. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's worth, I'll bring it when we when we meet. You guys can flip through it. It's not, it's interesting and the art is kind of cool, but it's not, it's not like, wow, this is really something special. It's like, a, you will forget about it two minutes after you put it down. Yeah, I wonder if that was going to be the case because when it was announced, there was some hubbub and then I really... I didn't think anything really followed up on it. I didn't really hear anyone talking about yeah, it. Yeah, because you can read uh, it in three so minutes, and there's not much to think about beyond that. So, Right, right. And then, actually, that one I'm going to save for next time. So the last one is uh, The Last Ronin, The Lost Years. I talked a while ago about The Last Ronin, which was like a comic miniseries. It was meant to be... It was by the original Ninja Turtles creators, and it was meant to be like an end to their. So the Dark Knight Returns, but for turtles. Yeah, and it was meant to like be like this is the end of our arc, our participation. This is the this is the right. canon ending to Ninja Turtles or whatever. It was good. It was really dark. Yeah. They all die except for one. Literally, you know, like everyone's dead. A- April's Ooh. an amputee. Like it, it was dark. Oh jeez. <laughs> That's... It must have sold well because now, <laughs> yeah, it's a huge. Yeah, hit. it's great. It's really it's worth reading. It's like a five issue, beginning, middle, and end. Got a nice thing. Uh, it's it's worth reading. That this is another five issue arc. That it. So they did a sequel to their last book. Well, only one of them did. I imagine there's. <laughs> Kevin Eastman. Yeah, I think one of them's ready to hang up this first. <laughs> the art is very good. The story's not bad. So uh, like half of it goes into the timeline of the of the first arc and kind of fills in some blanks because um, the way the way the first one goes is uh, so the only basically they all die except for Michelangelo and then Michelangelo is on a revenge tour to kill I think it's the shredder's grandson or, or whoever who they killed everybody and then in between chapters it kind of fills in like what happened to Raphael and splinter before they got killed etc right and so this that has more of that like diving into kind of that backstory of of the 
Michelangelo and his journey kind of piece. And then the other mm. running thread of this is April is an old lady with a bionic leg and she's raising four new turtles. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm all set. I don't need, you don't need to start over. Just, you could, you can make, you can make Ninja Turtles things forever and people will still read them. You don't need to come up with four new turtles and try and encourage us to, to learn about them. Yeah. It's just, it's not interesting. It's not bad. It's fine. Like there's nothing, there's nothing bad about it. It's just not, I'm not interested. So, uh, it's the same lesson that, that it's not just comics. I mean, comics is this, I think a lot, but so does, I mean, other media like video games, movies, the same thing, TV shows for sure, where it's like, Oh, the first one's success. Let's do a lot more. And it's like, but that thing, yeah. the success of the first one was, was partly predicated on it being like, this is the last statement. Like this has to kind of exist on its own. Yeah. And once you're like, well, what if it wasn't? It's like yeah, I mean, this feels okay, even more even more cynical than that because those he, he, that guy uh, Eastman is he the one that's still going? Or is it Kevin Eastman. Yeah, he yeah. can write Ninja Turtle shit forever, and people will still buy. It. You don't need four new turtles, right? It's not like interest yeah, is waning. Right. Yeah, and you know, there's there's no need to start over with four less interesting yeah. turtles. You know, and there's just it's it feels like that's, it feels yeah, like weird. I want it feels like a grasp for for a different IP that is Ninja Turtles but not called Ninja Turtles, right? It's what it feels like. Totally. It's like oh, the last Ronin is related, but I own these characters. Like that's that's what it feels like. Right. And I'm, 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 people like it great, but I don't. So I won't be reading anymore. That said, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not bad. The art is very good. Whoever the uh, I don't have it with me. Yeah. Whoever the artist is. So that's it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it seems like Peter Laird of the two of them is the one who was like, I, I love the money. I'm happy to like get royalties from Turtles. Yeah, and didn't he cash out like here and there. years ago, right? I mean, he mo- he still gets the stuff. But he like mostly funnels it into his like foundations. He has that like what's it called, the Zurich Prize of that, which is like a basically a grant for like young comic creators and stuff. He does a lot of that kind of promotion. And Eastman does dump too, all their money into Dover, New Hampshire. Pretty, yeah, right. But then uh, Eastman also like he has kind of like the rock star thing where he's like, I like the celebrity. I like being like the famous guy. And he, you know, married a penthouse pet and stuff like that. It's like that. Uh, you know, that's kind of, oh, Jesus. Simple, but, um, so different. Dudes, so he's the one that, so Eastman is the one that wrote the sequel. Then obviously. Yeah. yeah I think Lear was involved in the Ralph's one and two. And then once you could tell, so like, Hey, you know what? I don't even know. Do <laughs> you could, I mean, you could tell they weren't in the last Ronin, which was very good. The, all those scenes where it goes like back into like Michelangelo kind of, training for revenge or whatever was written or was drawn in the style of the original eighties comics. Yeah. Like it had a different art style and all that. And you could tell that was probably his, like he had his for each 20, 20 page thing. He right. had five pages and, and that those are the five pages he did kind of deal. So it already had right. this kind of separate kind of track in it. None of that stuff's in this yeah. one. And there have been to in Northampton. Apparently, there's a you can go see the old apartment where they created it, where the headquarters was when they first were publishing the original issues. But I've never been to it. But I want to go sometime just it's to going, see. It's I don't know, a field trip. Kind of a cool it's not place. far. Yeah, a couple things from me. I did read Life from Uncommon Stars, which we'll be discussing shortly in a Can or Can episode. So look forward to that coming soon. My big read for the winter break was I read Doppelganger by Naomi Klein. I've always liked her books. I like No Logo. I read Shock Doctrine and a couple of. I haven't read all of them, but I read most of them. I would say so. When her new one was coming out, I was intrigued, of course, uh, and then doubly so because I don't know if you guys know the premise behind Doppelganger, but we discussed it actually a while back, a couple of years ago in the podcast, I think, when Naomi Wolf had that book about. Uh, the executions of gay men in England in the 50s or 40s, right? Do you remember this, Nico? I think you're the one that talked about this 
on the show. He also survived. I do not remember it. Well, she was going to publish this book, and she went did an interview with the BBC, and it turned out she was wrong. She had done this research, and she had like totally misread this stuff. She had misinterpreted a like a language thing because they had like they use a termination like terminated a term like terminated or execute or something that didn't actually mean killed but the way she interpreted it was that, that there's like this basically like mass execution of gay men it turned out wasn't the case at all and she was caught on so they a, just got fired from their jobs i, I can't remember no it wasn't like that there was some there wasn't like, like that. they weren't like it was just there was not there wasn't a lot of killing going on it wasn't like there was a mass execution like a genocide of gay men in england uh it was a there was something else. It was a term, a phrase that was interpreted incorrectly. And uh, so this interview, I remember we watched it together. She like melts down because the guy is like, no, you're wrong. So this means something different. If you had looked into it, you would see that. And she like completely just has this meltdown. And that was the start of Naomi Wolf becoming kind of like a lunatic, right? Because even following her since then, she has those weird tweets about 5G, how 5G in Ireland uh, ruined the air and how you can't breathe it anymore. And she has that weird tweet. She's like, Belfast no longer has the same peace it had in the 70s, which is when like all the troubles were going on. And now she's also a big anti-vaxxer. She's, you know, she's constantly talking about the pandemic and how it's a government plot to control our civil liberties, whatever. She's like gone off the, off the edge, right? And... For Naomi Klein, that was a big bummer because she gets confused with Naomi Wolf all the time because they're both around similar ages. They're Naomi Wolf's a little bit older than she is, but they're not too far apart in age. They kind of look similar-ish. They're both like Jewish women with who are brunettes who sort of write about politics and gender and stuff. Mostly Klein does politics and Wolf did gender, but so that in the same circles. And so people would write about like, oh, what happened to Naomi Klein? She really went crazy. And she was like, no, I'm not her. I'm Naomi, I'm Naomi Klein, not Naomi Wolf. She's a different person. And so this experience of being kind of doubled was fucking with her. And so she wrote a whole book about kind of investigating the experience of like being confused, having a doppelganger out there who was like doing things that, that you wouldn't do, right? You know, she was finding herself troubled by the fact that people thought she was all of a sudden on this like right-wing anti-vax track. And she, she definitely isn't. It starts there and goes deeper into then like, she basically uses that as a platform to dig into what's happening basically in like America and kind of across the world too, with like the mirror world of politics, like how the right uses the terminology of the left to sort of like enact its plan, basically like how Steve Bannon uses, uh, you know, concerns about government overreach, which used to be sort of like leftist concerns to then sort of put forward a right wing, uh, fascist plot, everyone right? Everyone calls um, everyone a fascist. Kind of, yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. It's really great. It's a little... It's it's kind of like there's there's parts that are fun because it's a little catty, kind of, which is a stream you shouldn't use for one author. Um, but, like, it is a bit of, like... She kind of, like, digs at Naomi Wolf a little bit. It's kind of funny because, you know, we've had this weird thing about Naomi Wolf for a long time. But then it really goes much harder into... I mean, Klein spent, like months just listening to Steve Bannon podcast and trying to figure out what was going on. And it really does. She has a, I think a nice organized analysis of it and, and what's happening. I think it's really worth a read for sure. Pretty quick read. It won't take you very long. It's a thick book, but it, it, it breezes by, but it, I think it was the best attempt I've read to make sense of what's happening in politics. That feeling that disorienting feeling of like, I can't figure out like how this is all working, right? Like how did there's a whole chapter on, like wellness influencers and how people who essentially would be like hippies who should be voting for Democrats, uh, sort of supporting left causes, all of a sudden are voting for Trump because they think that the vaccine is a way to like damage the purity of their bodies. And it's, this, it's like when you think about that or when I think about that and like, how is that 
how is that shift happening? Like, how is that possible? She makes a good case for how it's how it's happening and why it's happening. And so I really found it satisfying in terms of understanding what I maybe didn't understand before, but also deeply upsetting because then you realize like this is yeah really fucked and it's not going away. So I really yeah. liked it. it. Anytime one of those conspiracy people brings up like the purity of our bodies, yeah. I just remember the Doctor Strange love scene. Totally, yeah. <laughs> purity of essence. of essence. Yeah. yeah. Peace on Earth. He's the most crazy person yeah and like and that's the in that bit like the general he realizes this when he's like fucking and then he like doesn't feel good when he comes and he's like why do i feel like i had a good time having sex and he's like oh it must be because the world's bad and it's like this is what everyone's doing basically and he's like i drink only grain (laughs) alcohol as if that's fucking different from distilled alcohol like what are you talking about (laughs) yeah he wants to avoid fluoridation yeah (laughs) it's a good read i think you'd like it david you especially would would be into it yeah that's a really you would find that's a cool premise i like that a lot and coincidentally my partner just uh, got me a copy of the shock doctrine. So I'm oh, going to read that soon. Um, I, I wondered if that's like, is that an accessible book? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay. That's part of what Klein does really well is that she writes, does a lot of research. She is, you know, a good analyst, but she writes in a way it's, that's pretty open and engaging. It doesn't, you don't have to be a wonk to read it. Shock doctrine is great. It's very depressing. Yeah. It'll be interesting for you to read it. I read it during the pandemic, like the first summer, and I was like, this is probably the bad, I should have done this. Uh, but it was interesting, mm-hmm. but it made my mood a lot worse. So I'd be curious to see what you'd think now, because it's you know still relevant, tragically. Yeah, good stuff there. And then I also, did I mention the new Transformers comics last time we did? What about reading? What are we reading? I think so. We did? Okay, great. Those are still good. Man, I'm really loving those. And then uh, while I was at home for winter break, I found myself going using the Hoopla app for the library and going back and reading a lot of old X-Men comics from the like late eighties and nineties that I had kind of missed out on. And they're like, man, they're not great. Uh, but they are a lot of fun for sure. They're just like big, goofy, weird stories. Uh, a couple of the arcs I was looking at are extinction agenda and mutant massacre and onslaught fatal attractions. These are like pretty famous X-Men storylines that I'd always read about, but never had dug into. And finally I was like, you know, I have some time. I might as well check these out. And they're, they're fun, but you have to relate the X-Men. I think I'm on an X-Men swing now. I think I'm getting back into the X-Men after a long time because the Krakoa books are changing a little bit. And I feel like now I've, I've got my X-Men thing on. So that's why I'm kind of reaching the past as well. All fun stuff. Well, it's a lot of reading. Uh, listeners, tell us what you've been reading these days. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Babies, where you can talk to us. You can also find our bonus podcast there. For a dollar a month, you can get access to the secret podcast we have where we do discussions and bro-to-bro games and all kinds of fun stuff there. So if you want to interact with the Yak Babies, go find us there. Also, check us out on uh, our email, uh, Podcast at gmail.com, where you can email us with other questions and thoughts, and uh, we'll check those out. And then we have some merch, tinyurl.com slash babies, where you can find uh, bricks designs. You can put them on t-shirts and posters and mugs. And there's a bunch of new stuff there of some AI art trickery that Brick's been up to that are pretty good. So check those out as well. And then we should announce quickly, I think, that we're going to move to a bi-weekly release strategy sometime soon. We're going to sort of make it every other week we'll have podcasts out. The main feed will be every other week. We'll still have bonuses because we have plenty of Brota Bros and, and fun and games and stuff to happen there. So those will come out every week, I think. But we'll have the, the main episodes like this one will come out kind of more like a bi-weekly uh, rate. So look for us there. Until then, Yak Babies, yakking off. The Yak Babies would like to thank all the loyal listeners, and especially their patrons, both past and present, including Michael, Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, 
Bailey, Andrew, Gilbert, and William Howard Taft. <laughs>